0: This morning, this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a chapter in the book of First Peter, which is a very, very crucial chapter. Uh, to me, it's very crucial. It's very close to my heart. Uh, it talks about the things of the family. And uh, over the last few seasons, we've heard Pastor Benny talk about very three important things, the life of submission, the life of serving, and the life of suffering, and how Christ became a substitute for us, for our sins. And because of what he has done on the cross and the strength that we have, we can focus on him and his ways and we can become reflectors of Christ, reflecting him to complete this journey that we call life. See, the apostle Peter systematically brings us through this this book and uh, he shows us how we can behave in a Christian manner, even though we endure suffering. Peter describes that we are people of two worlds. People of this world, the earthly world, and citizens of the heavenly world as well. And if you look around us, every institution that is around us, the office space, the governmental space, the social space, the family space, every one of them has had some kind of deviation towards a worldly perspective because that's where we live in. But what Peter wants to do is to bring us back into a heavenly perspective so that we can partake of this world and live in this world with a heavenly outlook. And and what he does, what he does, when he writes this to the uh, new converts, especially in Asia Minor or, or modern day Turkey, whatever he writes to them and addresses to them, are the same issues that we are facing today. Issues of persecution because of the faith that we hold. Submission to authority, which is a big issue, and today we'll be looking at that uh, quite in depth in the family atmosphere. Uh, Sometimes even to unjust authority. That that doesn't sound fair to us. How do we submit to them? In the home context, as Peter addresses, what I want to do today is I want to look at the fundamental Aspect of marriage between a husband and a wife. And we want to look at the context that Peter is addressing towards the Asian minor people, those that are suffering, and also look at what's the original intent of God and what it is for each one of us to be part of that marriage situation. Uh, And then we want to finally look at what is the instructions that is given to us and explore it a little bit on what it says to us from the biblical perspective of what Christ did on the cross for each one of us. So let's look at First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Seven verses. They speak a lot to each one of us. You know, verse 3 starts addressing wives, and I think Peter does that because he's a gentleman. Ladies' first approach is what he takes. So he says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your life. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters and if you do what is right, do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner as heirs with with you for the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Seven short words, but filled with details, with issues that govern us, uh, that runs our life. And it, it's something that uh, we are privileged to look into this morning. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your presence is what we seek through these words, Father God. And as as I speak about these words, Lord, I submit myself to you. Let your voice be heard and let the power of the Holy Spirit minister to each one of us in the context of what we talk about today, Lord God. And we surrender this session to you and to you alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. See, Peter Peter addresses the family unit. He addresses the family unit by calling upon the wives. And uh, as we look at this address, in this context, Peter is making this message um, to to prepare God's people, to prepare God's people who were under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they were facing persecution. And, And Christianity was at at a very infant stage. You know, the apostles were out there preaching about Christ and preaching about what Christ did on the cross and the salvation message. And more and more people were starting to turn and to gather to this Christian faith. And, and, and some of the marriages uh, had only one partner who was a believer. The other one was a non-believer or, or even a believer who had just started into the, into the faith but not following the apostles' teaching as what was called for. So women in Asia Minor uh, were still expected to participate in their husband's religion. They're supposed to give up and participate in their husband's religion. And adopting a new religion on their own, uh, like what was being preached in, in Christianity, started to cause problems and they were seen as insubordinate. In fact, in fact if She was married to an unbeliever. Her situation was a lot more complicated than what we have in these days. The philosophers of those times believed that women who pursued strange and foreign religions, i.e. Christianity, which is what they termed as uh, they were classified as immoral people. They were classified as people who were trying to destabilize the, the stability of a family unit. And so they were labeled and they were classified as people who were practicing superstitious beliefs. And so in keeping with the words to Christians, as they related to the slaves, to the masters, to the government in the previous chapter, Peter starts to encourage the wise to let their Good behavior and respect for their households, for their husbands, dispel this cultural mistrust and superstitions. In fact, he encourages them, don't even speak too much. Don't use words, but let your actions and let your behavior speak for itself. He says, be quiet, gentle spirit, and let let not your outward appearance supersede who you are and who you are reflecting in Christ. Be a reflector. Of Christ, and that's what he was saying. He, he starts off by saying these words in verse one. He says, "In the same way, in the same way, submit." He was pointing back to what was talked about in chapter one and chapter two. In the same way as the other foreigners and the exiles, Peter calls the wives to submit, and he makes reference to the sacrifice on the cross by Christ as something to look towards to, and something to hold on to, and something to draw strength so that this woman may even bring the husbands to the faith. It was a salvation call. It was a call for salvation in the behavior of the wives towards the unbelieving husbands. In other words, he's telling the wives: look beyond your husband. Look beyond the immediate, but look towards the cross and look towards what Christ has done in your roles. Fulfill that by submission. And what, what does submission mean? You know, in, in today's context, when society hears submission, it's got a very negative connotation to it, right? Society hears why you submit to your husband and all of a sudden alarms go up. You know, we were talking about this in our household and I said this is what I'm going to be sharing about, about submission, and all of a sudden, everyone stopped and started looking at me. Oh no, <laughs> oh no. But that's the connotation it brings about. Because of what people go through, because of persecution, because of domineering attitudes, because of a a put-down sort of a behavior that's been seen in households, in society. So submission, by definition, submission. Submission is putting others before yourself. It it means not to always do what you want, but to yield and to give, or sometimes even to take instructions from the other person. That's what submission means is all about. And our first notion is to look to the person in this case, in 1 in, in, uh, Peter, is he worth submitting to, the husband? That's our first notion. And when we start to look at that person and see whether it is worth submitting to, the answer becomes very difficult. Very difficult to submit to a person. If I look at You know, someone and say, submit to that person. I want to evaluate the person. I want to look at what sort of character does that person have? What do they do? Do Are they worth respecting? Are they worth submitting to? But what Peter is saying is, don't just look at that person. Look at me. Look at the cross. Look at who I stand for. Look at what Jesus stands for. Look at what he has done. In a way, in a way, he's saying, give in. Giving, keep the peace. Give in for the sake of the unbelieving husband's salvation, for the sake of the gospel. It's taking a godly perspective, a submissive approach to win over the family members or the husband. In fact, Peter was asking for the wives and husbands were well, based on the, on the what, what Peter was asking was no different than what it was based on the first mention of marriage. Right in the book of Genesis in the beginning, and, and this is what he was asking where, where God instituted marriage. And we want to look at that original plan of marriage. Because when we look at the original plan of marriage, we get a little bit of an understanding of what submission to authority really means. And in the first intent, God ordained marriage. It's one of the most fundamental relationships in the fabric of humankind. It's a building block of society. And the Bible says that God performed the very first marriage on the sixth day of the creation calendar. God created man in his own image, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Genesis chapter 1, 27 to 28. And then he says that God created Eve. He brought her to the man and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This account in the book of Genesis is the very first marriage conducted by God. And it highlights a fundamental characteristic of a godly marriage, a husband and wife becoming one flesh. They remain two individuals. But in God's ideal of marriage, he sees them as the two becoming one, One in purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That was the purpose that was given to them. And and the purpose that designed by God for that marriage was to amplify and to unify the strength of a godly relationship. Equal in standing. Sharing the same values. The same goals. Having the same outlook and objective. To work together as a strong team. Godly family to raise the children in a godly manner. The very basic, the very fabric of society is built on godly families. That was the original intent by God. That's what He wanted for families, and that's what He created in Adam and Eve, in the first husband and wife. But in the worldly perspective today, in the worldly perspective today, marriage is not predicated on what God created in the form of a covenantal relationship, marriage is predicated on a contractual relationship. Contracts are based on an agreement, a performance on the partners or the parties involved. Contracts can be altered if one partner or one party fails on what they're doing. They become the point of assessment. A marriage situation can fall apart, a contract can be canceled because one partner is not fulfilling their role. And what we call today, When a marriage contract is cancelled, it's divorce. But but in the blueprint in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, marriage in the kingdom of God was based on a covenantal agreement between the husband and wife. Covenant partners promise and declare terms and they seal it by making a vow. And and they have all a solemn agreement to join together as one for the mutual benefit of the family unit. They don't look at the partner, they look at themselves. They don't look at the other party, but each individual upholds his responsibility in a godly manner. And as they uphold their responsibilities, they become one together. All the possessions that they have, the goods that they have, the wealth, the talents, the rights, even the physical body is given to each other and shared equally. That's the beauty of the one flesh ministry. And when we look at that same verse again, when Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, it brings back together that the man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the covenantal marriage, it's established not on paper by pen, but the covenantal marriage is established in the hearts. By the, holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And, and we see this in the vows that we exchange in marriages. You know, we must have been to heaps of marriages and we've seen uh, a marriage taking place. And we see that the holy place of matrimony only happens when the one that we call holy is present. And in, in, in a sample of the vows that they make to one another, In a covenantal marriage, you know, when you take a vow, they say, I so-and-so, take you so-and-so, to be my husband or wife, to love, honor, cherish, submit from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. According to God's law, in the presence of God, I make this vow. That's the covenantal statement. There are promises to love, to honor, to cherish, and to submit. Terms like for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part, until death do us part. This is the Genesis account of a marriage, building a covenantal marriage, like how God wanted it to be. And even in the act of creation, God is a God of order. And in that orderly perspective, we see Order being placed in governments. We see order being placed in society. But in the family unit, there is an order that God has placed. And in this order, we see right from the word of creation. When he created Adam, God placed Adam into a deep sleep. And Adam, God removed a rib, the Bible says, in some versions. But in the Hebrew version, it says he went into a space, a cavity... In the chest area of Adam, and he took something out of that. And out of that he created Eve. He created a woman. Out of the cavity, he took and he created a woman. And the closest to cavity that we get created to the chest area is ribs, and we see in the new version, he creates out of the rib. If that was the case, then all males should have one rib missing. But we don't. But it's a space close to your heart that God took and out of that space he created the woman. God created men from the dust but God created women from the cavity that is close to Adam's heart. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl uh, to the fowl of the air and to every beast. When he's done all that God found that Adam needed someone as well. And God said, "Help me for him." And God created a woman. He caused him to go into a deep sleep, to fall upon Adam, and, he, and, and as Adam slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. So that's one version, but the version in the Hebrew speaks about the space within. The heart of the man. So the order of the family unit was starting to form. There was God, the creator. He created Adam from the dust, and out of Adam, he created the woman. And and God addresses them as one. From the point of creation, God addresses them as one. In fact, when he mentions Adam, he mentions the unit of Adam and the woman. It was only in the account of Genesis chapter 3. That we see an identity being created for Eve, being named Eve and called Eve, mother of all mankind. In fact, when we see what happens, it's Adam who names Eve, not God. Adam gives the name. And in the Genesis account, in Genesis chapter 3, if you recall the creation story, that's the story where the fall of mankind happens, where Eve is deceived by the serpent and in that deception she draws Adam into the whole ploy of the serpent and they start to disobey God. And in the disobedience when God accounts for them, God still calls Adam, what have you done? He addresses them together, still as a unit. And then he talks to the serpent. Tells the serpent what's going to happen to the serpent for doing what she did in leading them to deceive And then he talks to Eve, the woman. He says, woman, what have you done? And he tells her, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, very painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's an order being set in place after the fall, after the sin. And then he talks to Adam. And to Adam, he says that you will labor on this ground. You will toil on this ground. Before all of this, Adam didn't have to work. Everything was provided for. God provided everything in the Garden of Eden. But after the fall, we hear this term labor come in. And we hear when women give birth, we actually still address it as going into labor, work. And Adam was given labor to work the ground. So God was instituting a family order, God, Adam, Eve. And Adam's role was to be a leader, to be a protector. And the woman was created to be a helpmeet. Uh, in the Hebrew, it means to surround, to surround him, to make him complete. So in the, in the initial effect of creation, they were created to complement one another, to be complementary towards each other. And it's a picture of strength. It's a picture of unity. It's a picture of power. It's it's almost like taking two metals, and when you bring these two metals and blend them together, you form an alloy. And the alloy is stronger than the individual components of the metal. And that's what marriage was meant to be until the fall happened. They were created to complement, not to compete with one another. The worldly order has resorted them to compete with one another. The roles are all distorted. And we get a picture of what it means to have a covenant-based relationship in that order. There was a godly order in place. And Peter, in his verses, was instituting the working out of that godly order for each one of us. But if you want to go back and explore what is the new order that has come into place, we want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul speaks about an order in the marriage. And it's a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that we want to look at as well as we finish up with, the, with, John, uh, with uh, Peter 1 to 7. And Paul brings in the original plan of God and he says that we can reinstate the heavenly plan into the worldly life of a marriage. And we can bring it back. And he brings in what Jesus gave to us to say to love God and to love one another. So he weaves that back and he marries that back with the original plan in the act of creation and he brings it back into the earthly marriage, into Christian families today and what we can do. Peter expounded on it, but Paul elaborates it a lot further. And so at Ephesians 5, when we look at it in the New Testament, he makes it clear that God's design for human marriage uh, with husband as a self-sacrificing head is meant to be a beautiful picture of Christ and the church and how we respond as a church to Christ. In Ephesians 5 verse 21 he even says submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. That's one statement that a lot of time is being being missed. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us because of the reverential fear of God and what he did on the cross for each one of us Paul is now saying submit to one another. No more wives submit to husbands, but submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. He brings us back into that state, in the original creation plan where we have the same standing with God. And then he goes on, says, "Why submit to yourselves to husband?" And he expounds on that, uh, and he says, "As you do to the Lord." For the the husband is the head of the wife. In the creation story, we saw he was created and Eve was created out of Adam. Uh, As wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then he says this statement. And this is what verse seven was in 1 Peter. Husbands, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mutual submission out of reverence for God, key to a biblical marriage. The Greek word for submission, hupotasso, which means to arrange in order or willingly respond, has got an implication within it. And it says, willingly respond to an emotion, willingly respond to affection, which is an emotion. And what are the wives called to respond to? They're called to respond to the love of the husband. Respond to the sacrificial love of the husband. The husband's love literally draws the wives back into that cavity that God took Eve out of. And the husband's love is to draw them back. And in that drawing back, that willing response is submission to that husband this is a biblical principle in that order and, and in that drawing husbands can I encourage you don't stop wooing your wives don't stop wooing your wives if there can be a, a meter for wooing in the early days when you're courting your wife that meter will be right up there you'll be running up there with flowers and with, with all sorts of gifts and doing everything to win them over but the moment after marriage happened that, that meter sort of like starts to drop down and down and down and down and down and then come couple of years in a marriage it flatlines. It flatlines and, and when that happens and then all of a sudden we wonder why has my wife changed? What has happened? Because verse 25 says husbands continue to love your wife. Imagine if the heart rate meter, if that's the heart rate meter when it flatlines you're dead. And that's what happens to a marriage. It dies down. And, and, and don't stop. Don't stop. Constantly sweep them off their feet. Constantly sweep them off your feet. You know, once I had a couple come to me. And, and the husband came up to me first. He's a man of means. He had wealth. And he came up to me and he said, you know, I've done everything for my wife. I've given her a beautiful car. I've given her jewelry, a fantastic house. There's holidays that we can go for and all that. But she never seems to be happy. There's something wrong with her. She's never satisfied. You know, and 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 so, you know, in the in the moment of just talking to one another, and I asked them, and I asked him, I said, have you asked your wife, what is it that she wants? Oh, everything that she needs, I gave him. But have you asked your wife, what is it that she wants? So we got them together and we asked the wife, what is it that you want in this marriage? Your husband seems to feel that he's giving everything. And all she said was, all I wanted him was to give me some time. To give me some time. Sit with me at the dinner table. Talk to me, not on your phone. Cuddle up to me on the sofa. Watch a movie with me. That's all I want. I don't need that fancy car. I don't need that fancy diamond. I don't need that holidays. But I want him. Husbands, it's time. We need to sit down and ask, what is it that you want? And wives, it's time. We need to sit down and ask, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? Let me share some thoughts. Connie and I have, you know, 37 years of marriage. Yes? (laughs) 37 years of marriage. Uh, We've had our ups and downs. But over the time involved being involved in ministry, um, there's one thing that I, I have learned personally, to know each other's love language. Like for that person, the love language was time. But the husband was empowering her with gifts. But she wanted time. Know each other's love language and sow into that marriage with the love language. And as you sow into the marriage with the love language, you will reap a bountiful harvest, a glorious harvest. You will live a life of, of, of great happiness in the marriage. The other thing that we have learned is to keep that relationship fresh. Don't let it go stale. Keep that relationship fresh. We, we teach that, you know, uh, to, to get into Bible study, to, to get into time of devotion, we want to keep our relationship with God fresh, but also keep your relationship with your spouse and the family members as fresh as it can be. You know, evaluate your relationship. You know, we have KPIs and we have assessments and we have all these assessments. Can I encourage you, take the time to sit down with your spouse and, and take that moment to just ask a few simple questions. Are you happy? Are you happy in this marriage? Do you feel loved in this marriage? Do you feel that is there something else that we can do to improve our relationship? You know, Nobody teaches us to be a husband or a wife, but yet, There are people who spend 50, 60 years of married life. But we go to university, we go to all these places to equip ourselves for a professional career, but we don't equip ourselves. Seek help if you need. One other thing that we've learned is to have a mentor couple. Have a mentor couple who can journey with you because there will be problems. There will be issues that will come up. Have a mentor couple who will be able to, to give you godly counsel There are courses available, I think Arthur spoke about some courses in the family's ministry available as well. Spend those time, take those courses. Always, always, whatever you do, do it in love, submitting to one another as we submit to Christ. Respectfully keeping the unity. And as I finish, as I finish, I want to share with you two little stories. One from the husband's side one from the wife's side, and then we'll close today. We had a husband that came, and the issue that he had was the issue of a wife not submitting to him. He was a very godly person. Uh, Both of them attended church very regularly. But when this issue of submission came, the wife deferred, and she said, I can't do this. I can't do this. There were circumstances... And everything, but the husband came up and he says, "What can I do? What can I do to win over my wife? Because she doesn't want to submit to me." So I says, "What do you understand by submission?" So he explains submission. You know, she needs to serve me breakfast. She needs to make sure my, my clothes is ironed. She needs to make sure that when I come back, dinner is on the table already. I said, "No, this is not submission. You know, you, you can get someone else and pay someone else to do it." And we talked about the biblical aspect of a marriage. We talked about what it was in, in, in a godly marriage. And, and, you know, and we came to, to, a, to a point in time, and I said, submission is drawing out your wife because of what you are. Love your wife. Love your wife. And so he took it on board. He took it on board He came for prayer meetings and he asked for people to pray and say, teach me how to love my wife. And he started, mind you, this he was in the the 60s at the time. He started getting flowers and going back. They were separated and leaving the flower at the door with a little, little note. You know, when the children were having birthdays, he came up, he spoke well about his wife. He just started encouraging and slowly but surely, A couple of years later, the wife walks into the church and she goes up to him, gives him a hug and sits beside him because he drew her back into that cavity. He embraced and loved and brought her back. And they went to a marriage course at the age of 60 something. They were one of our oldest members and we had to teach them the the subject of, of marriage. Drew her back. Mike and Marilyn, who are leaders uh, in the marriage ministry that many of you may have known, Families for Life, I think now it's called Two Equals to One. Uh, Marilyn writes this story from the wife's perspective. She writes this story about how Mike strayed from the marriage. I mean, he, he strayed, strayed way out. He had an affair, he was living a life, he left her. But Marilyn went back to God, and she knew what it meant to be a covenant-keeping wife. And she continued to pray. And in one moment of prayer, a word was given to her. And the word that was given to her was said that Mike will one day come back and they will become a power couple who will impact the world with a ministry for marriage. In that state that she was in, she couldn't see it. But this was a woman of faith. And she said, I will. I will. Stick to it, I will believe. And she kept in prayer. Mike comes back one day. He comes back fully repentant. He embraces her. And they formed a ministry called Families for Life, or two equals to one. Today, that ministry is in over 40 languages, 90 countries. They've impacted many, many couples teaching about covenantal marriage. Covenantal marriage. It is possible... There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of hurt. There's a lot of tears that's been shed in in households. But God points us back to Christ. And as we finish up today, verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, in the same way. And that struck my heart when I was looking at this chapter. In the same way. In the same way as what the rest were told to do. And he talks about in the same way as what Christ did. Christ sacrificed for each one of us. In the same way we are told to sacrifice. This is not just for husbands and wives, but this is for each and every one of us here. Focus on Christ. And as we focus on Christ, the reality of what this world is about fades away. And the reality of what the heavenly world is about Starts to come in and we start to live with a heavenly perspective in an earthly world. That is possible because we focus on Him who has done it all for us. And today, as we close and we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity and pray to be able to respond to the love of Christ. You know, Christ was a Savior and the church responds to Him submits to him and the love that Christ has the embrace that he calls us to and we surrender to him with that place. and as we close shall we just spend this moment just praying would you just stand up with me and I just want to pray for, for us as we close this service and hand over to the uh, campus to take over thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Lord hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah. A difficult topic. A difficult topic for Peter, for Paul in times. For us in these times, a topic on submission, a topic of understanding, a godly principle, of godly order, and a godly design that has been laid out for us. And as we stand up, and as we focus on Christ, Lord God, I ask for the Holy Spirit to come and minister to each one of us. That the power of love that is in Jesus, let it pour forth into each one of us, into every husband, into every wife, into every child, into every member of this church that stands, Father. Regardless of the pain that some may have gone through, regardless of of the suffering that some may have gone through in households, Lord, you come. You come. And you touch us. And you release us. You release us. As we keep our eyes on Jesus. In the same way that we've been told to keep focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. And before we close... Before we close, I just want to give you an opportunity today. Give you an opportunity to respond in the same way to Christ. Maybe one or two of you here may not have heard of Jesus Christ, may not have heard of this this gospel that we are talking about, of what Jesus did on the cross for us, died on the cross, took our sins and released us and gave us eternal life. If you are that person today, this is for you. This is a moment for you to say, yes, Jesus, I want to believe you. I want to know you more and more. And I want to sense the love of Christ that you have poured out so that I can live a life in victory. If that's you today, if that's you today, come and see us afterwards. I would love to pray for you. And the next call that I want to put out is to each one of you. There may be couples here who may be struggling with the issue of submission. There may be husbands here who may be struggling because you do not know what it means to love, to keep that marriage afresh. And we want to pray for you afterwards as well. But for each one of us here, before we move out into the the whole and, and enjoy some time of coffee and tea and fellowship for each one of us here if we are struggling or if you just want a little bit more of Jesus Christ and you want to say Lord I want to I want to feel your presence I want to know more and more of you and if that's you today maybe this morning is the time this morning is the time to rededicate your life to God And to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm here for you. I'm here. I'm here. And I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you. The altar is open. The prayer team is here. If any one of those categories fit you, just do come forward. But for the rest of you, let me pray so that we can go forth. Go forth knowing that we can be reflectors of Christ. Father, we thank you We thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for the time of drawing us closer to you in your word. And thank you, Lord God, for each and every one that has gathered here. Lord, I pray that as they go, Father, let them truly carry the power of Christ that has been released into each one of them. The love of Christ that has been released in each one of them, that they go out there stepping as ambassadors for you, reflecting the love of Christ, Lord God to their families, to their people, to to whoever comes in their way. Let them be, Lord God, truly go and be anointed by your presence. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.